Okay, so let us continue with some more uh, great Jewish treasures, okay? So there was a... Anyone here of Camp Dora Golding? Yeah, you go there. Here, right? You go there? No, no we, we go there. Yeah, yeah. So Dora Golding was a uh, very wealthy woman, and she was married to a man by the name of... Actually, I don't know his name, but his brother's name was Sam Golding. Sam, this is a picture of Sam, and his wife's name was Necha Golding. So Necha and Dora Golding were sisters-in-law. They were married to two brothers. These two brothers were very wealthy real estate uh, owners in Manhattan. In fact, I know somebody who lived, an old man, he's in his 90s, and he lived in Manhattan uh, back in, you know, in the early 1960s, maybe, remembers like these buildings that had like on the handles GB for um, Golding Brothers, like the Golding Brothers, like they owned a lot of big real estate, you know, family. In any event, Mrs. Necha Golding was a very, very great Sadekas. She uh, was known for giving uh, a lot of money away, her husband's money, but Still, it was their money to tzedakah. She went, uh, we have actually in the book, I put like pictures of different organizations that she made parlor meetings for. So look, this is a young Rav Aaron Cutler when he was still Rosh Hashiva in, in Kletsk in Europe before he came to Lakewood. Um, he was 25 years Rosh Hashiva of Kletsk and they made, she made this woman, uh, made what, does it say the date? Um, no, but I don't know exactly what year this was, but in any event, it was uh, obviously before the war, so we're going back uh, probably to the 1930s, and, uh, and she was uh, very beloved by many, many people who recognized how generous she was to the yeshivas in Europe. Remember last week, I think we spoke about a different woman who donated a lot of money, Remember, she, very good, she had the chair. So this woman, Mrs. Necha Golding, uh, Rav Aaron Cutler eulogized her as the tzaddikas hadar. She was the greatest tzaddikas, the female tzaddik of the dar. And he says there will never be another like her because she was extremely generous. She housed Rosh Hashivas uh, when they came to her house uh, from Europe. Uh, she was the one that... that took care of them and, and, you know, and, and arranged all types of parlor meetings, etc. for them. Anyway, the, the piece that I used in this, in, for her was um, a dress that she had made, especially for when Mashiach came. So this was her dress. It's in a box. On a, it's, it's folded over but it's a beautiful, very expensive dress, and she never wore it. She had it made just for the great occasion of when Mashiach comes. And uh, I found a grandson of hers uh, has this in his attic, and he took a picture of it and he sent it to me. But I think it's a, it's a beautiful um, piece that really shows uh, how a woman has, this woman had such great bitachin and Hashem. I mean, we all believe Mashiach is going to come, or we should, but how many people really go out of their way 
and uh, do something concrete to show that they feel that Mashiach is going to come and they're waiting for Mashiach to come and they're excited for Mashiach to come. So this is a woman, you know, again, back in the... She died in... Um, what year did she die? Uh, not sure, probably in the 19... Late 19, uh, 1953. 1953. And, uh, but she had this dress made just for when Michelle came. I want to... If I tell this story, I have to tell another story that goes together with it because it sounds like okay, you have to be a the tzaddikah hadar in order to do this, but if you're just like uh, you and me, a regular, you know, regular person, then maybe we don't have to, or there's no way of doing it. So years and years ago, when I first started in yeshiva, this is going back, I don't know, um, well, it was, it was probably around, I, I, I'm here close to 20 years, but uh, it was probably around 16 years ago, let's say. So I had a Talmud, he was from England, and he had cousins in Flappish. And he went there for a Shabbos, and he came back, and he says, Rebbe, I, I want to tell you a story. This story is true. It's not like your other stories. This story is actually true. It happened. And um, I don't know if I should be happy or sad when he said that, but he says, this story is happening, and I know it happened because I just went through it on Shabbos. I said, all right, I w- I'd love to hear it. He says his cousin in Flatbush, where he went, has a, uh, a boy who's like seven years old. Yeshiva boy. He goes to Yeshiva and flap a regular, nice Flatbush Yeshiva boy. And Erev Shabbos, right before Shabbos, this boy's grandfather came to visit and he brought like a beautiful uh, peckle for Shabbos, like a candy bag with like all types of nosh in it. And uh, this is what he did every hour of Shabbos. His grandfather would go to a candy store, get like a very, you know, nice bag of candy and bring it to his grandson so that he should enjoy it on Shabbos. So then, and then the grandfather, you know, benched him and left. So my Talmud was like joking with this boy. He says, all right, let's open it. Come on, let's enjoy it. He says, no, it's okay. He says, what are you waiting for? You're waiting for Shabbos? Okay, have a little bit before Shabbos. Some time now we'll have a little uh, taste of it before Shabbos. No, 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 it's okay. Anyway, my Talmud kept on like pushing him, tell me, you know, are, you know, why can't we have it? Why can't we have it? So he said, finally, like just to, to, I guess, to stop him from like nudging him, he says, or, come with me. He takes him into his room, into his bedroom, and what? He, very good. He, he said, um, he closed the door behind him. He opened up uh, one of his drawers in his, uh, in his dresser. And there were like a hundred identical peklov just neatly stacked in this drawer. And my Talmud was like, you know, very surprised. Like, what are you doing? Like, just eat the things. Like, what are you, what are you saving them for? They're going to go bad. So he says, um, this is my Mashiach drawer. He says, I accept it upon myself that I am not going to taste from this delicious candy until Mashiach comes. When Mashiach comes, we're going to open it, we're going to have a big party, but until then, I'm not having from it. And that was a story that happened, obviously, it's going back 15 years ago, so let's say 2007, whatever it is. And, um, you know, but a, a boy in America, in Flatbush, seven-year-old boy, you could raise a boy like this, we could raise ourselves like this, to be able to really do something for Mashiach, to actually 
And when you do that, it's not only you know a, a, a great milo that you have, it also makes Mashiach a lot more tangible to you. Imagine if you said you're not going to uh, you know, do, do a certain thing or you will do a certain thing or whatever it is, but you, you directly relate yourself to Mashiach's coming. That's a, that, that makes his arrival that much more imminent, that much more reality-based. It's not just some vague animamin that we say every day that we can't really relate to. It's something that you know, is really, uh, it, it's, it, it becomes real. And so Mrs. Necha Golding had herself a dress made, and uh, the seven-year-old boy in Flatbush never ate uh, any peklach until, uh, I don't know where it is. It's funny, because I bumped into his uncle, this boy's uncle, not the town, nothing related to town, but the, this boy's uncle from the other side. And, uh, you know, because I've been saying over that story about the Mashiach drawer forever. That's like one of my staple stories. And... And then I bumped into his uncle, and I just said, you know, Agav, I just, just re- I reminded myself that about him. He never heard that story. He was very impressed. He said he, he just got married, this boy, like uh, a month or two ago. And he said that, you know, he wishes he had known this story because he had spoken by his Afrof. And uh, he would have for sure, this is like a no-brainer story to tell by an Afrof. But he didn't know it. He was like so impressed that... Uh, you know that uh, that that this uh, that he he had such a hasago, but that's uh, that's something that's uh, very mashiach is something that hopefully we will all experience very soon. You know, you never know, uh, you never know with this uh, war in Ukraine with uh, with Russia, and uh, I don't know if I, I'm sure you is everyone following it. Everybody knows what's going on there. It's a uh, it's very, very scary. It's uh, and it's it, it feels like Mashiach times a little bit, you know. When you, it's getting much worse every day. It's getting worse and worse. Uh, it's very hard to know how it's going to end. You know, it's on the heart. You know, you're dealing with somebody like uh, Mr. Putin, and you know, it's just very. Uh, he, you know, he's he's like he's bombing nuclear facilities. So you see, he's not. He doesn't really care too much about human life or nuclear bombs or whatever. So you have to really be very careful when you're playing war games with him, that he might just get crazy one day and shoot off some missiles wherever. You know, and uh, so, so far he's not, you know, he's resisting, but like I could definitely easily see him, you know, saying, you know what, I'm not just going to hold back and not fight NATO and America because you're supplying Ukraine with all these, you know, with all of these weapons and missiles and, you know, and tanks. And like, I, you know, that's an act of war against me also. Like, not right now America's like they're not bombing directly it's like you know but they're supplying Ukraine after a while like Russia might just say you know what Uh, you know you can't supply Ukraine if you supply Ukraine with weapons that's also an act of war against me and um, you know it's 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 frightening times we have to have what he did say that already yeah so you know it's it's very easy to see how economic I saw about the sanctions but yeah, right. But I don't. But I mean, yeah. So he he could do whatever he wants, and you know, it's uh, it's very easy to see how these wars could escalate. You know, all the great wars in history, like they didn't start from like these huge events. It starts from a little thing. You know, World War One. Some guy got assassinated, and that led to a fight. And you know, and and before you know it, you have a hundred countries fighting against each other. In World War Two, also. So it's you know these these wars. You say oh, right now it's keeping. It's staying very local, but that's not the way wars generally go. They generally spread.
Yeah. What's the status with the, the Jews in Ukraine? How, are they are they getting refuge? Is Ukraine like not allowing them to leave the country? What's the is getting? So the ones that got out early, you know, they were warned. I mean, you know, a lot of Israel warned them. A lot of people warned them before this whole war actually started. That is that that when this fight starts, it's going to get ugly very quickly. You really, it's dangerous. Don't like, don't take a chance. Get out. And a lot of people, a lot of Jews, I think, did manage to get out. But, you know, there's always, you know, I, I, you're, you're, you know, you don't want to leave your country. It's your house. It's your community. It's some, so I don't blame them for not leaving. But a lot of them um, got stuck there or they tried. A lot of them did get out after the war started through certain corridors. And now a lot of them are going to Israel. And then there's going to be, they say, maybe 100,000 Ukrainian Jews uh, that are going to emigrate to Israel. A lot of them are stuck there, and uh, the bombs are falling, uh, and it's a it's a you know it's a terrible terrible time to be there. It's a, for everybody there, but you know everybody. Um, but anyway, you know the Mashiach is supposed to come during at, bef- right before Mashiach's arrival. They're supposed to be the Mulchemes Goygumagig, this Armageddon. And, you know, we didn't know when that would be. There was always, you know, there's, they thought World War I is Armageddon, they thought World War II is Armageddon, they thought the Persian Gulf War was Armageddon. And they, you know, we don't know. Hashem, Hashem has a lot of patience, and only He knows uh, when anything uh, actually will happen. But, you know, with the, these times, it's, it, you, know, you never know, and you always feel like maybe this is the way that Mashiach is going to come. Obviously, you know, the, the Chavitz Chaim's famous uh, adage that those who know, they don't say, and those who say, they don't know, is applicable. You know, the people that say, they, I know for sure Mashiach is going to come, they don't know. If they're saying it, they don't know. The ones that know when Mashiach is going to come, they don't say it. They're not talking about it. But we have to prepare for any eventuality. And, uh, and these are times that, you know, you can almost hear the footsteps of Mashiach. And we have to at least try to think about that a little bit and try to, you know, absorb that reality that, you know, Mashiach uh, hopefully will come and then it'll be a wonderful world of Hashem. A lot of things will change, hopefully, uh, you know, in a, in a great way. But, um, but it's always going to... Mashiach is always um, introduced by a, by a great war and by a lot of tragedy. And we dive in that we should be able to avoid the hard parts of Mashiach's uh, arrival. It's called, Chazal called the Chevle Mashiach, the birth pangs of Mashiach, because just like when a baby comes out, at first there's a lot of turbulence and there's labor and there's uh, all types of contractions that the mother has to have and endure. It's a terrible, terrible pain having a baby. And men, Baruch Hashem, don't know from it, but you know, you ask any woman about what it's like having a baby, it's like the worst, worst uh, uh, Yisurim, it's, 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 whatever, it's, without getting graphic, it's not, not Geshmak at all. But that's how it is when Mashiach comes. It's like also like having a baby. And Mashiach will come, but there is a lot of turbulence that happens uh, in the world that has to be, uh, that we have to live through, we have to endure. And if you do certain things, then you're saved uh, from, like the, the Gemara says, Mayasa Adami, Natsal Mechevli Mashiach. What? What should a person do to be spared of these birth pangs of Mashiach? And it says, you should be Yasek B'tayra, you should be busy with Tyra, you should learn more, and you should do Chesed with people, you should daven, 
And this is what Reb Chaim Kanievsky just recently said when, they, when he was asking, what do we do? Like, the world is in turmoil. You have to learn more, and you got to daven, you got to try to do chesed. And, um, and that uh, is also an importance to each shalashudas. Shalashudas is also one of those things. It seems like a simple mitzvah. You know, you have a little uh, roll and, you know, some tuna fish or whatever, and that's your shalashudas. But the Gemara says that if somebody eats the third meal on Shabbos, that's another thing that you're saved from Mulchemes Gagumagug. You're spared from, from all of the turbulence of, uh, uh, of Mashiach times. Is there a one size fit all answer uh, to motive? How do, how do we keep motivating ourselves from Mashiach? Because as each day passes, we feel as if we're getting more distant from Mashiach. Even though it's the opposite, we lose our inspiration, we lose our, our fire from Mashiach. But I'm, I'm saying, in, that, in those times in the 1930s, this woman, who she, she, had, she bought a dress, like she was on a, uh, an amazing level, but I feel like as generations move forward on and on, we, we kind of lose a whole, a lot of people, I hang around, they say, yeah, Mashiach is incoming, and it's just like, it's very hard to convince them, and like, how do we, is there like a, I know there's not one certain answer, like we were just saying, to, 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 to keep ourselves uh, invigorated, but is, like we said, through Torah and Gimul Chasadim, like these are some ways that can, help boost us, say, no, Mashiach is coming, he's coming today. Mm-hmm. Even, even if he didn't come on Sunday, or he's going to come today on Monday, if he right. doesn't, how do we keep that? It, seems it's hard, it, it is hard to imagine, and a lot of people, secretly, they don't want Mashiach to come, because, you know, they're doing pretty well. You know, you just put in a new kitchen in your house, or you're, uh, you, just made, you, know, you just got into a PA school, or a medical school, or whatever, and, you know, you're very happy. I want to, let me just get my degree first, and then let Mashiach come. But Mashiach doesn't necessarily wait until everything is, uh, is, is working on our time. We have to acclimate ourselves for his arrival when, he, when he's ready. But we have to want him. Mashiach, Chavetz Haim used to say, Mashiach wants to come. It's not like he's like standing like this, no, I'm not in the mood. He wants to come. He's waiting by the doorway. He's excited. He's... But, you know, we have to be excited for him to come. Like, the, the trigger of bring Mashiach is not, we, have to, we don't have to convince him to come. He's ready. He's convinced. We have to, we have to convince ourselves, like you're saying, that Mashiach is, is, that we're ready for Mashiach to come. As soon as we feel ready, that itself, even, you know, the, the people in, our, in this room, right, the few people that, that are here right now, if we would all like really want Mashiach to come, it's very possible, I know it sounds very far-fetched, but it's very possible that we ourselves could bring Mashiach. The, the answer is that, you know, we don't really all want Mashiach to come, even if we say we do and we preach that we do and we think that we do, but like in our heart of hearts, we're not, like you're saying, like, you know, maybe in those days it was easier, but I'm telling you, there's a boy in Flatbush within the last you know, a couple of years that he figured out a way to do it. Maybe he had great rabbeim that convinced him that Mashiach is for real and he's coming and be ready. And maybe, you know, that's what triggered him. The kid was also seven years old. But, right. So when you're, when you're younger, I feel like everything is, like, there's more colors, it's rosy and everything. As you get older, right, you talk, talk to like older people that have been through struggles, been through life. Right. So we have to we have to try to, and like you said before, also you're you know you're both saying similar things that you know you we have to hang around people that are that are positive people. If we hang around people that are cynical, negative, like yeah, I don't think so. Mashiach's never going to come. Then 
it, it has an effect on it. it. It does. I'm not saying that you shouldn't, you shouldn't talk to these people ever again, but, you know, if it comes to these types of hashkafic discussions, try to avoid them, because... You, you think about it the opposite way, that after each day it becomes more suspenseful. You don't know when it's going to come. So after every day, like, oh, maybe tomorrow, maybe right. tomorrow, maybe next minute. After oh. 2,000 years. There's two ways to look at it, you're saying? Are you saying there's two ways you could look were at they, it? Yeah. Were they, were they waiting for Mashiach and Bayat Rishon? They, and Bayat Rishon? No. They, they were, right. Mashiach. So what is it? Mashiach is a Bayat Shani? After, uh, no, I mean, Mashiach could have been... Mashiach could have... Mashiach could have... they said, could have been Mashiach. Like, we're, we've been waiting for Mashiach to, since Matan Taira. Mashiach could have been Mashiach. Chizkiyo HaMelech could have been Mashiach. There could have been a lot of potential Mashiach. They thought Rabbi Akiva was Mashiach. So, sorry, I'm just curious. So when Bayer Mishnah was built, they knew that it was going to be destroyed? Because they're waiting for Mashiach still, no? So what? There's a Beit HaMikdash without Mashiach? Does that make sense? No, we had a base on Mikdash, but Mashiach didn't come yet. Mashiach... How did they build Bayer Shani if there was no Mashiach? Like right now, we're waiting for Mashiach to build... Right. Build, uh, Beit so well, we had there we, we didn't wait back then. No, we we had yeah we had Nevi'im and the Nevi'im the prophets told us that we should go back and we should build the Bayit Sheni and and even without Mashiach. But now to build the Bayit Shlishi, that we have to wait for Mashiach to come. So we need uh, we need Mashiach, and we're not allowed to go and build it ourselves. It doesn't. We need a Navi, and we need to to have Mashiach come first, and then when when he comes, then we can rebuild. Uh, as Greater. That's a great. That's a great question. So, the, if Moshe Rabbeinu couldn't become Mashiach, what chance is there for people? That's now? a great question. That's a, that's a great question. So the answer that I think the Shlach Hadush, one of the great uh, earlier generations, like maybe uh, you know he lived maybe five hundred years ago, uh, he said that. Because, and this is a very difficult concept to understand for all of us, but a mitzvah that you do today, and this is, he was saying this 500 years ago, but a mitzvah, let's and imagine today, one mitzvah that we do, let's say now we got to go to mincha, right? So we davening mincha. Now, it's not easy to daven mincha because, you know, we have our cell phones, we have our college, we have our, our, all our distractions. So in the olden days, 500, 800, 900 years ago, they didn't have a cell phone, they didn't have a smartphone, they didn't have internet, they didn't have cable TV, they didn't have, you know, all the stuff that we could get distracted by. So a mitzvah that back then, you know, is not nearly as impressive as a mitzvah that we do today. When we put on film today, the Rishonim couldn't even imagine the ability, the schar that we get, the reward that we get for putting on film today because it's so much more impressive that we're doing it. It's not, it's worth a thousand times more. Yeah, we are tzaddikim. You better believe it. We really are. I'm not just saying that. I'm not saying that to, 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 to make you feel good about it. It's very reassuring. The Shlach Radish says that a mitzvah that we do today is worth... So it's not such a crazy thing that we could bring Mashiach when previous generations couldn't because you're right, they're, they're much greater than we were. Kibeger and they're a thousand times greater. In terms of their ruch, their their Yerushalayim, their Torah, their their closeness to Hashem, they were exactly, they're closest to Hashem. Much closer to Hashem. They're much closer. Isn't the whole point of Mashiach to be close to Hashem? Yes, but but the but we little we would be able to perhaps pull off a trick that they couldn't because we're in a sense we have 
the, the actions that we have are much more powerful in Shamayim than, than their actions. It's hard to imagine. That doesn't mean that we're greater. Don't walk out of the room and think, okay, that means great, I'm, I'm greater than my Shabbat. You're not. I'm not. But, we're, but the mitzvahs that we're doing nowadays is something that Maishra Rabbeinu couldn't fathom the, you know, the, the difficulty with. They had it easy. It was, it was relatively easy. Obviously, they always had Yitzhahara and Nisyonah, but, but not, like, not like we have. So our generation might, we're so close to the end of time that we might just be able to be the ones to bring Mashiach. Right, maybe if you want, we could talk about it more uh, next week. Okay, let's go to Mincha.